Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the Dynasty Wonderland podcast. With me, the Mad Chatter Ryan MK. Don't forget to check out my socials, Instagram, Twitters, at RMK Madness. By my side, as always, my man, maybe the salary captain. I don't, I don't, he's a bit of an identity crisis right now, my friend is. Uh, but that's okay. How we doing, Mr. Aaron? How we doing? Oh. Oh, we're doing good, man. Doing good over here. It was a long end of the week last week, but as I always say, I look forward to Mondays. Mondays, mm-hmm. we can sit down, record, talk some football. What's not to love about Mondays? Right, right. And don't forget to follow Aaron at AARons209 on the Twitters. And then there's a third with us today, returning for a second time, one of our favorite guests. He returns the early down grinder. You can find him on Twitter at Value Draft Picks. It's Chris Buonagura. Thank you for joining the Wonderland. Welcome, sir. Welcome again, oh. I should say. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. You got the name way, way better this time. I'm proud. Progress <laughs> has you, been made. <laughs> I tried to throw a little stuff in my voice so that it did. Yeah. You know, so that maybe it distracted if it wasn't quite perfect. But thank you, sir. We are glad to have you. Should we get into it, fellas? Yeah. Okay. To To begin, I want to ask the EDG directly, Scott Fishbowl, man, how'd it go? Scott Fishbowl, I mean, this is my first time in the actual event. I did the satellite last year, but I'm happy with my team. I think I, I struck a level of just going for upside that I like. I mean, I maybe could have put a little bit more to running back, but I went super anchor RB on this. I mean, I walked out of the first four rounds with, uh, I drafted up the 110 with, uh, nice. I took down Waller, then Saquon Barkley at the 203. And then at the 303 after the reverse, I took Matthew Stafford and then Keenan Allen at the 410. So that, that gives me one solid player at every main position. And I just anchored my team with those guys and then just drafted best player available and baked an upside along the way. And I actually, um, Patrick Murphy, the fantasy football king, he he runs the consulting for Player Profiler and for his own site. And me and him were talking during the Scott Fishbowl because he was also drafting at, at the 10 slot. And he went Waller Barkley. And then he went at 303 Cam Akers. So oh. I was, you know, and he was trying so hard to get me to go Cam Akers. And and I, re- I remember saying to him, I said, hey, man, like, I love the upside, but Stafford's there. This scoring format helps pocket passers. And I'm going more anchor RB than robust RB because I'd rather swing for it later. And like, not that this validates my pick. It's just complete luck that it just so happens the guy I would have taken got hurt. But mm-hmm. it definitely made me feel a little better until three days later, Michael Thomas got hurt with my fifth round pick. But I have, I luckily went super wide receiver heavy. So I still have six great wide receiver starters despite not having Thomas. So I think I'll be okay. I had Cam Akers. Oh, man. I was so fucking happy with my my first five rounds. I walked out with Swift, Akers, Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, George Kittle was my first five players. I was super fucking thrilled. I liked my depth. Cam Akers, ugh, ugh. I can't even talk about it. I can't even talk about it. It's heartbreaking, man. I mean, First listen, year in Scott Fishbowl and this. Ah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt. 
It's actually against you, man. Listen, I, that first waiver run uh, in sep- September, he doesn't let us pick up anyone until just before the game starts. You'll find someone, man. Oh, someone well, to yeah. fill that void in, in your heart that Akers is left off. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <sighs> Unfortunately, I, I had Michael Thomas in the fifth round, so you know, <laughs> all three of us, all three of us have felt pain before before a single preseason Jesus. snap has happened. Right. But um, like got dinged. But but like Chris, like uh, even, Michael Thomas was the first receiver I took in the fifth round, but I did go receiver heavy. And some of the things I do like is like I got Lockett to pair with Russell Wilson and it's, it was a deep dart throw, but I got Jalen Rager uh, deep in the draft to go with my other quarterback, Jalen Hurts, along with Travis Fulgham in the 22nd round and with some Devontae Smith news, like maybe a door is open for Fulgham to be fantasy relevant for like a week. <laughs> and that's all it takes for the 22nd round pick. Right. Right. I guess the most important question is is how many kickers are you guys currently rostering? They would kick us out kickers. of the underworld. Perfect. Well, kickers. kickers. I have not a one. <laughs> oh, kickers. All right. Just had to make sure I wasn't on the wrong show. No, you're good. Okay. <laughs> Go no off. kickers. No kickers. We, we've had us. some podcasts in that way. We bring a guest on. They say they draft a kicker. We're like, mm, Sorry. That's that's the wrong answer. No, <laughs> no kickers. No, but I did. Um, I did the beautiful symphony of of anchor and upside, and something we'll talk about best ball later that I like. But like outside of receiver, my receiver room is just stacked, and then it's it's Stafford and then Fields at quarterback. You know, like I just went for it, and then I drafted both Denver guys to hold the bag until Fields starts. Like my nice. my RBs is Barkley, and then Damian Harris, and then just straight upside after that, Tony Pollard and backups. Because okay. if it's Barkley and Harris, I'm banking on Barkley to be a top five RB, Harris to be a top 24, and then one of those guys to pop and find their right. way to my flex or a waiver wire end. And this being not best ball, the fact that there are waiver pickups made me even more confident to just say, forget running back. I'll get the Mike Davis. I'll spend all my fat week two if I have to. Like, right. That's the plan. Absolutely. That's, what that's I'm the thing with fab. The, that's the thing about fab is that people, they, they try to – like, look, in the first two or three weeks, those are going to be the, the people that matter. So stop saving all this. Stop saving all this fab for the middle of the season. It just doesn't matter. In one league last year, I blew it all on Justin Herbert. And that's that's what helped me. Uh, where did I go? It's a 14-team league. I think I made it to the semifinals. There was definitely some draft mistakes. I survived a Cam Newton-Julian Edelman pairing that I thought was brilliant at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, people playing a Scott Fishbowl, like, be aggressive with your fab. It's after week three, you, you're not going to find many league winners. It's just random at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yes. last point, last thing I'll say on it. I, like, so, I went so anchor everything. I drafted down Wall in the first round. I figured it's Waller, it's nothing. The only other tight end I took in the 15th round was Ebron. I was like, five week fill in, Waller gets hurt, this team loses anyway. So I wasted no draft capital on tight end. So I just put even more receivers on my squad. Nice. I like it. I like it. So you're, you should be well covered with Thomas going out. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what I can do with some fab with no Mr. Akers. But uh, yeah, moving on from the Scott Fishbowl. Before we get into NFL news, I just want to know, as a Jets fan, Chris, I'm hearing about this Mims running with the third team. Well, what's going on here? Is 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 
is Mims just is he about done, man? What's going on? Um, I mean, I'm out. I'm I'm out. I I I hopefully he can still recover somewhat of a career. I like the player. I still love the pick last year. But in terms of this year, I mean, listen, running with the twos, whatever. I don't care about the twos. Running with the threes, that's definitely pretty low. And looking at the team more and more, with when you have rookie quarterbacks, JJ Zacharyson actually on his late round podcast did a breakdown like a month ago where like rookie quarterbacks just don't really produce multiple high end fantasy options on their team. And I'm a big believer that the high end options on the Jets is basically Elijah Moore and that's it. I think he'll be a surprise this year, but the rest of the guys like Corey Davis and Crowder are just there. And after all the depth, there's just really nothing on the bone for Mims, even if he can break out. So, you know, based on the reports and there's already so many other sophomore receivers that are worth targeting that we know have a much better chance of breaking out and everything we've seen, like I was in on him earlier this off season, but I've changed my mind, phasing in process. I'm out now. And basically in dynasty, you're holding, and praying he flashes at some point, you can do a quick trade. And in any other format, there's really no point in drafting him right now. You can just swing for higher upside somewhere else. Pretty much what I surmised. Aaron, did you want to add anything, buddy? Nothing really to add to that. It's we've we've all been patient, but yeah, like the everything keeps getting worse, and it's the wrong direction. Like it's it's one thing if he, as you mentioned, if he still runs the with the second string, okay, whatever, but to now be third string like what the heck so yeah with that i'm out i'm with you guys with you guys all right now let's head out and check out the news my little shitty sound effect and the big one really aaron since we've last talked is the carson wentz news hurt once again he actually has had the surgery he's gonna be out for a little bit so there's some Nick Foles trade talk. We talked a little bit off pod before the show. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that would mean Jacob Eason slated to start. What are they going to do here? What's going to, as far as the contract money, go into a little bit of that, give us your thoughts, and then throw it over to Chris. I think we, we see teams can get creative with the stuff. I'm looking at Nick Foles' contract right now. Like the reason I called it off air, the worst contract is he's a third string quarterback, right? And they, they can't, they can't cut him. Like they would lose about $8 million right now to not have him on the roster versus have him on the roster. But another horrible contract got moved last week in Randall Cobb to to the Packers and I don't even know what the trade compensation was uh, on that one but I'm I'm sure that the fact that the Packers like it may have been a late round pick and the Packers cover some of that guaranteed money maybe they're able to do something I would love to ask Anon Nanduri who's salary cap expert used to work for the NFL how that works because it seems that teams can just do this type of stuff where they're like hey we got this guaranteed money and we'll pay a portion of this guaranteed money if you'll take this contract we saw it with Teddy Bridgewater uh, with the Broncos and Panthers trade. So maybe something like that could happen. And, and in the case that, let's say, let's say that the Colts who, I don't have their salary cap numbers, but they always, they always roll over a ton of salary cap space. Like they are super conservative. Maybe they're willing to spend some of that money to acquire Nick Foles. Maybe they're able to get Foles for like a seventh round pick. That seems to be a win-win. I mean, he is a third string quarterback. Like the fact that you get any type of compensation 
would be a miracle. And it, it actually may be something like a conditional, like seventh round, seventh round pick. Uh, the other one that was interesting is Marcus Mariota's name got thrown around. That's as right. A potential Carson Wentz replacement. And then there was news like, oh yeah, the Colts, when, when it was the off season and they clearly had to look for uh, a quarterback and before they traded for Wentz, they were actually in talks with Marcus Mariota. Now, the only, only issue on that one is I, I think a Marcus Mariota may have like a no trade clause. Like it's super weird for the backup QB to have a no trade clause, but that was probably part of, part of the deal with him taking a pay cut is, Hey, we're going to decrease your pay, but also like if we do trade you, it won't be to somewhere that you won't like. It would ideally be to a place like Indianapolis where he could potentially be the starter. Um, the From the injury side with Wentz, he dodged a bullet though. Like it sounds bad on that one, but early reports I was hearing like, oh, Wentz heard like a pop in his foot. No, oh no. So a little background here. I, I my bachelor degree is in pre-physical therapy. So I'm studied injuries, not to the degree to become a physical therapist, but I'm familiar with injuries. Like popping usually is ligaments and ligaments is bad news. I would rather players break bones than tear ligaments because ligaments are super weird. We're seeing that with uh, Cortland Sutton in the, in the torn ACL and the, the video that was trending where he was running very timidly, I think would be the, a good way to describe it. So a broken bone, and they're actually like removing the bone. I think that's best case scenario in this for Carson Wentz. Ideally, you don't want him hurt. But I was like, oh, no, is this a Liz Frank injury? Which that is, that's just, that's damning right there. <laughs> like that, that Carson Wentz may have missed the season if it was Liz Frank. So the broken bone is best case scenario. Maybe they just go with this timetable. A five to 12 week timetable is super weird. But it is it enough is time. They need to see what they got with Eason. Maybe they put him out there. And you got to give them, got to give them some playing time at some point. And, and who knows, maybe if a week or two in the season, if Eason is just God awful and it looks like Carson Wentz is going to be more on that 12 week recovery, which would probably be the first six to eight weeks of the season. Then maybe you go and pull a trade for a Mariota or a Foles, but yeah, it's, I think Wentz dodged a bullet and also Coach of the year, Frank Reich, because Adam Schefter broke the news that Frank Reich was also undergoing foot surgery too, but then he deleted that tweet. But don't worry, people. I caught that. I screenshotted that. Frank Reich got the foot surgery along with Carson Wentz. That is a coach of the year right there. The things he does for his players. Good job, Frank. Leadership <laughs> by example. Um, I actually, I know no one found it, but I actually saw the compensation for Cobb. And uh, they, they traded Bob for a, a washing machine and, and a bag of balls, just like in yeah. semi-pro, you know, when they traded for Woody. So I'm, I love I'm, it. I'm pretty sure they, they called the Texans and, and said, hey, like, is Kyle for trade? And they were like, we already bought his ticket, guys. Don't worry. He's gone. <laughs> like, it was just free because I like there's no compensation. It just was magically traded. Um, which is fantastic. Just great, great parody by the NFL. Uh, we're going to find out later that like the owner of, of the Texans got like a free invite to cheese day or whatever in Wisconsin, whatever they do for hey, festivals I take the over there. 
I would love the cheese. Are you kidding? Listen, a, a really finely aged meal of cheese for Randall Cobb, that's that's a deal, man. <laughs> that's great. Okay. But um <laughs> continue, Chris. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, no, yeah, this is um this is game over, man. Anyone who's not, this is game over, man, has not watched the NFL and has not been watching the Colts the last couple of years. Frank Reich, super conservative. And you saw like from months ago, like this dude was not all in on the season. This was a tryout year for Wentz. They didn't bring back Justin Houston or like other aging veterans. They didn't pursue anyone that hard. They looked into left tackles, but ended up getting like a, a D-level guy. They they looked into Julio Jones, but still rolling out T.Y. Hilton. Like the chips were never in this season. Carson Wentz is you know, five to 12 weeks. And even if he does come back for a dude whose mechanics fell apart last year, like he's not going to come back and magically have better footwork after a foot injury in in the middle of the season. So like Eason, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to bet that he's going to be good. Can he come out and impress everyone? Sure. Anything's possible, but I'm not, I'm not going to wager on that. So lost season, everyone involved is just completely useless at this point, in my opinion. I mean, at least like Jonathan Taylor in the first round, you can't possibly do that. Because what if they just give him a lighter workload to save him? You know, yeah, like, can't do that. And the receivers, there's just – there's really not much there, you know. And even at whatever value they come at, we don't know what this is going to shake down to. And for me, I'm just pretty much completely out on the Colts offense unless we see a big slash before week one, which they're not going to do. Do you think they'll just try and get through this year, look to get franchise QB maybe next year? Is that kind of – yeah. This is a perfect excuse. This is what they did. Pat McAfee talks about this all the time. This is what they did in between the year of Peyton and Luck, right? He plays the long game. This team is always in a position where at any minute they can just turn the key and be chips in, but he never, he holds his hand. Last year, they went slightly chips in. He traded his first round pick for DeBoer's Buckner. He said, we don't want either developmental tackles in the year in three years. I want a line changing defensive lineman right now. And it made a huge difference in their defense overall. I'm pretty sure they traded up for Taylor. Like they put the chips in last year because they had Rivers. This was a twilight year for Phil. And then he got Carson Wentz on this deal and said, you know what? Like, let's see how it goes for a year. He's he's not a chips in dude. He's not the Rams who trade away all their first picks every year trying to get it back there. You know, so I can 100% see them just essentially using this as a reason to tank. And that hurts everyone involved. And I was trying, I was looking to do like Pittman and Hilton and, seeing like is there anything to glob onto for these guys is any one of them the slot receiver like what's going to happen and based on what we have from last year you can only make an assumption there's no concrete showing of anything you know Hilton played the slot like 13.7 percent of the time hitting in a little bit more like 20 uh 17 percent uh, Zach Pascal actually had a 66 percent slot rate but Zach Pascal and Campbell in his one and a half game was in the slot every every play but like you know you have to assume Eason, injured Wentz, whatever free agent street quarterback they pick up, they're not pushing the ball downfield, not effectively at least. So I'm just, I, I'd rather shop elsewhere this year and circle back next year, buy them cheap in Dynasty in, in November. And one last point I want to make real quick is the domino effect of this Wentz injury because when the Colts got Carson Wentz, they traded a conditional second round pick that becomes a first round pick. And it on the surface, it was supposed to be, oh yeah, it's a no brainer. It's going to be a first round pick because it was, it was due to playing time. It was like, it was, you either play, if you played 75% of the games or uh, 75% of the snaps, 
it became a first round pick or 70% of the games and they made the playoffs. It became a first round pick. Well, this injury, if it's more on the, on the long, long-term scale, like if it's closer to 12 weeks than five weeks, that it, it becomes almost a 0% chance that the second round pick becomes a first round pick. And the reason I mentioned domino effect is we've been hearing news last couple of weeks about, well, yeah, the Eagles, they could be in the Deshaun Watson market. And if that had become a first round pick, the Eagles would be sitting with three first rounders, their own, the Dolphins for trading down from six to 12, and then this first round pick for Carson Wentz. But now if that takes away that draft pick, you're sitting with two next year. And, and do the Eagles still pull the trigger on that one? Maybe not so much anymore. So it's just, it's very interesting how just something that happened all the way in Indianapolis could affect such a massive trade that affects things, fantasy football and dynasty football. So now we don't really know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. They also mentioned Aaron Rodgers, but I don't, I think it was more Watson to Philadelphia, not so much Rodgers to Philadelphia. Right. That's what I heard. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens with that whole situation as it continues to develop. Some running back news. Uh, Nick Chubb got a little bit of a contract. Uh, Devontae Freeman signed with the Saints. And there's a little bit of chatter about this uh, hot hand running back committee, 1A, 1B approach in Detroit. Um, And they plan to use Jamal Williams heavily, they say worried about DeAndre Swift. So let's get into it. Chris, take us off. What do you think about the signing, the contract, and, you know, this uh, Jamal Williams in Detroit situation? Worried about Swift at all? So I'm pretty sure the quote they used for Swift was um, like that the role between Swift and Williams would be similar to that of like Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, like, correct? Yes, no, you guys saw this too, or am I crazy? Yeah, something like that, yep. Yeah, so, like, I mean, Ryan, I know last time we came on, and I've listened to the show now, like, you're really good at trivia. You love these trivia games, so I actually have a bit of trivia. Do you happen to know in 2020 who the overall fantasy point scorer was? No. Like, what player, what running back scored the most fantasy points last year? Who was the running back one? Fuck. It's kind it of the guy, the guy that scored six touchdowns in everyone's in one game. I was expecting it. To, okay, okay. Keep going. So, so what I'm saying is a bunch of people on Twitter heard that DeAndre Swift's going to get used like Alvin Kamara and decided to move him down their rankings. So I'm just trying to make sense of that one because last time I checked, isn't like every running back in some type of timeshare? Doesn't Dalvin Cook only get a 65% opportunity share? Like Chris McCaffrey two years ago was the only example of someone really eclipsing 75% for like a couple of years now. Like everyone's got a satellite back or a second back in, in the backfield, like someone to spell them out, you know, as long as DeAndre Swift gets the catches and this team's going to just be in catch-up mode all the time. I mean, it's not like he's a second or first round pick. Yeah, you can get him like back in the third, even in the fourth sometimes. So like, it's pretty much a lock button move for me. I mean, I try to vary my exposure on best ball, but I will I will never hear that someone is going to get an Alvin Kamara type workload and decide that that person's worse off for it. So I really don't know where people are at on this. I just wanted to, first of all, if I didn't make it clear, 
I'm not worried about DeAndre Swift, <laughs> but I have heard some of that out there. And it, before I even read the Alvin Kamara part, I was just like, I don't fucking care. Like Jamal Williams is fine. And there's certain things he's pretty good at. And that's why he's going to get used. But it, Aaron brought this up way earlier in the off season, but with, with the additional game, like a lot of teams are probably going to use a second running back more. I mean, just, you know, to try and not run the first one into the ground. So <clears throat> I do the, and most teams pretty much do anyway, they have a complimentary guy. So I, I just, none of that ever worries me. And I'm like, hot hand, DeAndre Swift is the better running back. You know how many times we've heard that for the hot hand? I'm going to give it to the hot hand. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever, and when has it ever come true? I've never, so anyway, Aaron, you go ahead. I just wanted to make it clear. I'm not worried about Swift at all. I'm 100% with you, Mr. Chris. Aaron, please. Well, I'm with you guys. Like, there's nothing to worry about DeAndre Swift, which is so crazy. Like that people are fading DeAndre Swift, who's one of the best running back prospects we've seen. Like in that class last year, like the NFL.com, the the guy that was at Lance uh, Zierlein, Zierlein, like he, he yeah, he always ranks these players. And, and usually he's pretty dang accurate. And Swift in that phenomenal 2020 running back class, he had the highest grade. But the thing I want to contribute on this one is when people are like, oh, Jamal Williams is there. He's going to he's going to eat. There's something people need to consider. If you go to sharp football stats, they actually give personnel frequency. Like you can see how how often teams run 11 personnel, which for people that may not be familiar with what the personnel numbers are, is the first number is, is running backs and the second number is tight ends. So 11, that's one running back, one tight end, three receivers. So I looked up the 21 personnel for the New Orleans Saints since 2018. The reason I did that is that's where Dan Campbell came from. And the Saints were top five all, all those years. They, they ran it 10% of the time. Uh, nope, nope, never mind. So that's, that's, that stats come up 13% of the time, 18% of the time, and 14% of the time. The Saints, and you know Dan Campbell is going to bring some of that, it, they utilize two running backs at the same time. Then people are going to go, but Anthony Lynn is the offense coordinator. It's going to be his offense. So I looked up the Los Angeles Chargers from the past three seasons, and the Chargers were top 10 in running 21 personnel. That was 10%, 14%, which was number six that season in 2019, and 9%. So needless to say, like it doesn't matter if it's, if it's Anthony Lynn's offense or if it's some variation of the New Orleans Saints offense, they're going to utilize two running backs on the field together. So no, I'm not worried. Of course they went and got a Jamal Williams because they – both both guys are going to be calling plays here. They they utilize two running backs on the field at the same time. And then Chris, as you mentioned, it's yeah, like there's no, it's rare. There's like Derrick Henry, and that may be about it of guys that just stay on the field for like all the plays. Like Kamara and Austin Eckler, the two running backs from one from the Chargers, one from the Saints. They've been sub seventy percent snap share running backs, and they've been just fine as long as swift continues to be utilized in the passing game as he was phenomenal in his rookie season fantastic that's what was saving him in seasonal fantasy leagues early in the season last year because he wasn't getting any carries but he showed he can contribute in the passing game like i i'm not worried sure i guess technically there will be a committee but most teams do as as you mentioned chris 
Let's just let's just look at the first round. Does does a Nick Chubb not have a Kareem Hunt? You know, does Ezekiel Elliott not have Tony Pollard? Does dare I say Saquon Barkley not have Alfred Morris there to just gobble up all those early down touches that we know Alfred Morris is gonna house three yards forward every time? I mean, come on, guys. What like what are we missing out here? Let's just be consistent. And you know what you said? Like I don't get it. You don't get it. Ryan doesn't get it. This is where we can just absorb value and find success in the third round because. Let them fade him for the fantasy. Like, those are some juicy stats, Aaron. It's the reason I follow you. You know, those stats about 21 personnel. I never would have even thought to look into that. So, like, just the way you approach it is such a good way to get an edge and feel more confident in your choice. But, like, just look at the hypocrisy of, like, you know, people will – DeAndre Swift pre-draft last year was the consensus RB1, like you said. And – there's all these guys that they'll tout. Someone will tweet, oh, you got to draft Nick Chubb. Look, even with the splits with Hunt, look, at he was the RB3 in rushing EPA. He's amazing. Okay, great. Like, oh, Antonio Gibson, the next overall RB1. Like, did J.D. McKissick retire? So, like, just, you just see the hypocrisy. They're picking and choosing, and that alone is enough for me to say, let me, you know, draft Swift. But those stats, love them. <laughs> and that's also a shout-out to Warren Sharp. It, I mean, anything with his name on it is fantastic. Yeah, Sharp's great. Big fan. And I wanted to add in, does Dalvin Cook not have Kenny Wing Wu? Thank you very much. Uh, our hope Just that Cam Akers comes back from an Achilles. Huh? <laughs> it's uh, Kenny is our hope that, that one day Cam Akers can come back from his torn Achilles. All right. There we go. We tied it all together. I like it. Uh, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> Now, Aaron, do you want to give us uh, a quick minute on the Nick Chubb contract? And then uh, we're going to take a quick break before we get into our wheel game. But do you get a quick minute on the Chubb contract, sure, please? Sure, real, real quick. I looked at running backs that have signed contracts recently. So Chubb, his average annual value, value comes out to $12.2 million. Uh, for comparison, it's like he's getting paid right where he needs to. Dalvin Cook was $12.6 million per year. Derrick Henry, $12.5 million. Um, right below him was Joe Mixon at $12 million and Aaron Jones at $12 million. It's, it's the perfect value for Nick Chubb. They didn't overpay because there is a drastic step up from like Dalvin Cook. I think the next one might have been Zeke at like $15 million, So mm. you should be counting your blessings there, Cleveland Browns fans. You, you got a great value. And also the length of the contract, it's a three-year extension, which – I mean, Alvin, Kam- Alvin Kamara got a five-year extension. Makes you a little nervous, not because he's a bad player, but running backs and long contracts. Oh, no, we start going Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell. So three-year yeah, contracts three years is better. Yeah, 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 exactly, because I want to say he will be 29 years old when the contract ends. Also, the the salary cap thing, like the, the fact that the Browns were able to lock up Chubb now is huge because 2023 – the salary cap is going to spike big time because there is, there was a, oh, let's see. NFL had a long-term agreement with broadcasting partners like CBS, ESPN. That's going to be oh, yeah, 10. The contracts coming up. Yeah. And it's going to be $10 billion in revenue each year for a decade. So, and revenue definitely affects the salary caps. So the reason I mentioned that is with, with not just Chubb, but, when, when you've got quarterbacks and stud receivers, star left tackles and pass rushers, 
you're hoping your team can lock these guys up to multi-year contracts this year and next year because you wait till 2023 oh my god right. i who knows what qbs can make i would only be speculating but it's gonna it's gonna jump to a massive number and for chubb this just a great deal it's three years i think is the perfect length chubb's fantastic talent um and i thought the guarantee money was was interesting because we don't have the full details. I keep refreshing. I keep trying to see those official details come out. But Derrick Henry's contract, for instance, it's not a lot of guaranteed money uh, on that. So Chubb got paid well. He got, I'd say, a fair deal. I think a deal that makes sense for both sides. And I don't really think either side necessarily won that. It was just they both came out and they got what they want. It was a good deal. Very nice. Anything to add, Chris? No, I don't want to embarrass myself next to the salary captain. I don't have much to say. Nick Chubb, money make much. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. I 100% agree with you, EDG. Okay, now we must say goodbye to a couple of players for this season. A um, couple of guys I actually like. Torn ACLs. B.C. Johnson from the Minnesota Vikings. Briley Moore. Uh a hopeful tight end for the Tennessee Titans and uh, both will be out. That's unfortunate. Um, might make the DD Westbrook signing a little bit more important in Minnesota. But other than that, uh, I got nothing than to others other than that, than to say uh, good luck on the recovery fellas. See you next year, Mr. Aaron, Mr. Chris, what do you guys got? Anything else before we break? Yeah, Briley Moore. I, I liked him as like a, a true sleeper rookie because athletically, if you pull up his profile and player profiler, it's like, oh, cool. They found like the eventual John New replacement. Um, I guess he'll be a sleeper for one more year. Now, as for the BC Johnson, I, I know that Chris is going to is going to agree with me on this one. The fantasy impact is non-existent. Like that Minnesota, like you look at last season with BC Johnson, once Justin Jefferson became the, the second starting receiver, that was it for BC Johnson. The only time he ever got on the field, Adam Thielen missed a game and BC Johnson played. Besides that, he wasn't playing. He was strictly an outside receiver. Mm. And, and so with the DD Westbrook, uh, there's, it's nice that he was able to latch onto a team and sure he'll play, but this team ran 21 personnel, 25% of the time let's see no 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 sorry sorry i got that they ran 11 personnel so three wide receiver sets a league low 29 percent of the time in 2020 and the year before was 25 percent, which was also the league low so since herb smith has come in a third receiver just doesn't matter on that one it does stink for nfl value like real life football because you're already losing valuable backups and when you're losing depth before this, the games have even started, that does hurt. That adds up when you start losing players left and right. But fantasy, nothing. Chris? Um, same as my salary take. I'm really, <laughs> really nothing. Um, let's say, uh, uh, like, you know, really just not touching the needle at all. I, you never okay. want to see a young man's career or life in jeopardy, but. From a fantasy football <laughs> sense, there's too many stats out there in the world for me to react to this one. <laughs> okay. All I'm going to say is this. Pr probably more pertinent, the uh, Westbrook signing right now for real-life football, as you said. But 
in a deep dynasty league, not a bad guy to have at the end of your bench if one of those two top guys gets hurt. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I do have one dynasty league where he's just sitting on the end of the bench still. So I don't know. But uh, yes, that's all we got. We're going to come back after a quick break, get into this wheel game and have a little bit of fun. All right, fellas. Took a quick break. We good? We good? Anything else? No? No? Good. (laughs) All right. We're breaking and we're coming back quick. And we're back. We're back for some more fantasy chatter. And now we move on to the wheel game. We're using the wheel. That's right. Here we go. Now, I've got six topics on here, five of which you know about, and then the question mark, of course. And then the red spots are the grinding my gears topics. And those are just that, those are kind of, you know, your punishments. So your spelling stuff, your multiplication stuff per use. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. Now, I'll spin it. We'll go, I'll spin it for each of you individually. Uh, I'll do some points based on, you'll get the topic, you'll go into it, and then uh, the other person will be get a quick reply. But we'll get some points going. We'll go through this, find our winner, of course. Good luck, Aaron. Uh, we'll find our winner, of course. And so as our guest, the EDG, he must begin. Let's get into it. Deep, deep sleepers, my friend. Love this one. All right. The deepest of sleepers. So, I mean, I think of this as like, I think I think of everything from like a best ball sense because that's all my brain can ever think about. Um, so, you know, we're talking like post round 15 dudes that okay. we're just praying, you know, Hail Mary tosses. And specifically, I've been getting really into trying to load up my running backs with just guys from this range and getting one to three staple running backs early, whether it's like anchor RB or robust RB, whatever. And then I, I don't, I, I bother a lot less with the nine to 15 round running backs. So in my opinion, if you're trying to find a running back, like if you're trying to make your own waiver wire, right. And you're hoping that at some point around weeks, 10 to 17, those names that pop up for one week here, one week there, that they're on your roster. Cause like, if you look back to old best ball teams, even really good best ball players, there's so many players on so many rosters you drafted that just never even see the field. And it's like, what was I thinking? So I'm trying to identify like, Hey, like how do I make sure that these guys are actually playing football in 2021 and like to some degree of skill. So for running backs, I'm really, I'm not worried about what the current depth chart is. I'm looking at guys that stick around on teams and have produced at least in spurts or young guys with a lot of investment in them. Cause those are the guys that you're going to see pop up. And there's a lot of names that are just buried that are completely off the radar that like, we should be giving them more respect, at least over complete dart throw wide receivers in the 18th round. So like, you know, there's the obvious ones that people are on top of Damian Williams, Phil Lindsay, Darrell Williams, you know, Ty Johnson, people have talked about them. Truba Hubbard, like these guys all go. Uh, Philip Lindsay is the first one of these guys. He goes at pick 114. Everyone else is super late. 
Um, and then there's guys that have some traction, you know, like I've talked about Quadriolison, people bring up Joshua Kelly or like Justin Jackson, but there's guys, you know, there's even more guys that are have just as much upside as a backup as like Alexander Madison, but are completely forgotten about. So like Kalen Balaj was bought into Pittsburgh. He is the direct backup to Najee Harris. And if Najee Harris goes down, it's not going to be a committee. It, it's Pittsburgh almost never does a straight committee. They usually just give it to one guy up the middle. So like Kalen Balaj will probably be the RB one there for a couple of weeks. If Harris misses time and completely untalked about, like I get it. Nobody likes him, but he's had good production at in the past. And that's the type of guy, like he got cut and found his way to another team. And that's what matters to me. So like Mike Boone got cut, found another team, you know, Devonte Booker, always bounces around teams like he never goes unsigned which shows you that hey the nfl is interested in these guys and if, if yeah and if it comes down to it they're going to start them wayne galman like and then another way to look is we even though we know that there's going to be guys no one's talking about today that will have meaningful weeks at running back because of injuries and such nobody tries to like pull these guys out of the woodwork and no one tries to look ahead so let's look at like teams with four running backs where one's probably going to get cut I'm drafting that guy because he could get signed anywhere. Like I'm drafting Justin Jackson, who's in a squeeze between Joshua Kelly, who has draft capital and Larry Roundtree, who was just drafted. Like Justin Jackson's the odd man out. Justin Jackson can surface somewhere else and have RB one week. So why, why would I not throw him into my exposure mix? I'm not going to have 40% Justin Jackson, but I should have 6% in best ball, at least one or two teams. Cause just in case, like, you know, uh, Royce Freeman's like that, or uh, um, we have Keyshawn Vaughn, like, Keyshawn Vaughn's a complete bust right now, but what if they just cut him or trade him? What if they just say, you know what? We're good. Gio Bernard's in town. Get rid of Vaughn. Someone else gives gives him a chance. He resurfaces. And then the other thing for me in this lens is just avoiding the guys that have nothing to offer. Even if they get a starting role, you would never start them. And it's as painful as it is to say, it's players that I love that their careers are just at the tail end. Adrian Peterson, Mark Ingram, you know, Devonta Freeman, Benny Snell, like he's not going to do anything. Carlos Hyde, like Reggie Bonifan, who got replaced. Like these guys don't offer much. LaMichael P. Ryan, we don't know if he'll surface with like a new team. So uh, avoid the dust and just focus on the guys that the NFL has has not regurgitated out. I understand they're off the fantasy radar, but they're on the NFL radar and they always pop up at some point. So enough with like, like why are you drafting JV and Hawkins? He's never done anything. He's such a fringe guy. Like I'd rather take my chances on Wayne Galman. So, I mean, that's, and you know, like these guys are forgotten and how is Kalen Balaj any different than, you know, Alexander Madison. If one of their starting running backs get hurt, both are picking up the same role. So I, you know, I'm, that's just how I'm kind of looking at it when I'm trying to quote unquote, create my own waiver wire on the end of a deep best ball bench, you know. Aaron rebuttal. Oh, there, there's no rebuttal there. It's when, when, I saw this question of the deep sleepers, same thought process, like running backs. We're, I, we're always looking for the next James Robinson. Now that was for once in, in a blue moon. But really, my running backs were mentioned at some point by Chris. And I'll just kind of go just some, some stats I thought were pretty interesting. Take Justin Jackson, for instance. Last season, he had four games. They touched the ball 10 times. In those four games, he was RB25 or better. I mean, you're talking – like, if he, if anything happens to Austin Eckler, that is Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson is going to come in, and even if he's doing his work, 
just in the passing game, like that's RB2. That is startable in fantasy football. And yeah, if you go somewhere else, awesome. The only issue with Jackson has just been health. That really has been it. It hasn't been a question of, of his production. He's been extremely productive. He just can't seem to play more than half a season. And then my, my other like favorite deep, deep sleeper is Wayne. Is it Gallman or Gallman? Like, it's whichever Harden. one scores me more fantasy points next week. <laughs> hey, so I, I, I like that. I like that. And Whatever and, you want to say. And you have the interesting statement about like how Galman, he, he got cut. He got, or like he, he wasn't brought back by the giants. He's let him go. Sh- yeah. We, yeah. But he, the shocking thing was last season, he actually he had three straight top 10 weeks. It was they, when, when Barkley went down, he came in, he had back-to-back games where he had 18 plus carries. He totaled 10 red zone carries during that time. Like those t- those types of running backs are rare. Not a lot of running backs get that much work, especially in the red zone. And then I actually, I like the San Francisco landing spot. Like everyone's going to be drafting Trey Sermon and everyone's going to be drafting Raheem Mostert. San Francisco's weird. Like it's, it's, it seems, I don't know if it's that, that zone scheme or what, but it's like they go through running backs so quickly. And if, Gallman, if he's there as the third string right by midseason, he may either work his way up the depth chart or injuries have opened a door for him and he's shown. Like when he's given opportunity, he produces. Like use a late round pick on him, boom, awesome. And both those guys there, their underdog ADP is like right at 216, which is the last pick in in underdog best ball drafts. Like that is that's that's perfect. It's what you want to that's what you want to shoot for. Like, yeah, I'm with you. Like those taking a receiver in the 18th round doesn't make sense. Like shoot, even the receivers we take the 13th, 14th round are already fringy. So yeah, for yeah, me, but also too, backs, like uh, taking these running backs too. that, just uh, you, at a certain level, it's too much of a dart. The perfect example is Wayne Gallman versus Elijah mm-hmm. Mitchell. Like how often do teams draft two rookie running backs that hit never, it doesn't happen. So like, why is Elijah Mitchell suddenly also great just because he's in San Francisco? Like, no. And this, this team that we're saying, Oh, let's draft Elijah Mitchell because he's on this, this haven of running back, you know, pr- production and fantasy. Well, Wayne Gallman was signed. They like paid this dude money to come play for them. Like there was the goal here. And I mean, if you want to argue pre Jeff, uh, pre uh, uh, Jeffries in, in, in injury, what's his name? Why am I blanking? Um, the running back they had that hurt himself. He had a couple of good Jeff games. Wilson, Jeff Wilson, pre Jeff Wilson. Like, yeah, there was an argument, but Jeff Wilson's gone. Gallman's in and like, Forget about Elijah Mitchell. Forget about Mark Ingram. Forget about Adrian Peterson and the two touchdowns he'll score this year when someone signs him. Like these guys, the other guys, they have some juice to them. And yeah, like wide receivers that late are you really got to hold? It's 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 a little riskier. Yeah, it gets gets ugly. Um, sorry, Ryan. We just I know you're Elijah Mitchell number one fan there. And <laughs> I don't know about number one fan, but I, I'm just when I put if you put his profile next to Trey Sermon's profile, okay, and you mm. look at him, not a lot different, except for except for one of them is a, a a lot faster, and that's Elijah Mitchell. And I'm just I'm just saying to me, but I also do a lot of dynasty. These are the kinds of guys you throw on your fucking bench and you fuck at the end of your bench and say maybe one of them will hit. Because I like the profile, you know, you could see a bit of a path, you know, Raheem Mostert, not the bill of health, right? He had to, you know, he's getting up there in age, so you don't know what happens in front of him. So that's a guy I like taking a chance on. 
I understand best ball is different. So I, I get your approach. But uh, yeah, I, I do like not number one fan, though. Come on. I'm not in love with the dude. <laughs> it's, it's all about league format, too, though. Listen, if you're in a super deep dynasty league and you took him in the fifth round of, of your rookie draft, we're talking a whole different circumstance. Right. Like, you know, if it's a redraft league, you're just going to maybe see if he hits on, on the waiver wire. But in best ball, where you're locked in to take a guy with that low, low, low percent chance of hitting. With just zero proof whatsoever, when I can make a list of 40 dudes with some juice that could potentially surface this year in the NFL, like it's just not worth your roster spot, even in like the FFPC. It's just, it's all uncertainty. You need some inkling of certainty to hold on to when you're that late. I mean, listen, I could put my profile next to Elon Musk's profile. We probably run the same 40, but he's worth millions and millions of dollars. I'm worth a Big Mac and like a small fry at McDonald's. So it's, um, I understand looking at the profiles and I don't mean to rain on your Elijah Mitchell parade, but for best ball, at least no. Oh, I definitely see your opinion, but you can't rain on my parade, brother. You just can't (laughs) do it. You just can't do it. It is how I roll in dynasty, but I definitely see the argument best ball wise. Okay. Let's see. What are we going to go here? I mean, let's see. He do pretty good stuff. I'm going to give him a few points right there for that. And then Aaron, I mean, he had added some stuff. Okay, we'll go a couple points there. We're going to end that one four to two, a little bit closer than someone might have thought, Aaron. And I'm an underdog. His spin. Don't worry. I paid off the ref for a fair contest. <laughs> All right. Biggest bus of 2021. Oh, I love this because. I usually I hate on this guy every single year, but I think I got some some supporting stats on this one. Mike Evans, Mike Evans, like is is what's a player I hate. I pulled up his ADP on I think fantasycalculator.com and his ADP was 41.3. So you know, right outside the third round, that's wide receiver 14. And it makes me nervous because Yes, he scores a lot of touchdowns. Touchdowns can vary from year to year. And touchdowns saved his butt some weeks. I mean, the two catch, two yards, two touchdowns. Like, oh, my goodness. It, it, I'll admit it kind of infuriates me a little bit. But the reasons that, that, I don't, that I don't like Mike Evans is the numbers. There's two numbers that I always like for receivers when I'm going from year to year. One is target share, where he had an 18% target share. That was number 51 amongst wide receivers. And his air yard share which was 23.4%. That was number 53. Like I sit there and I go, I can't, I can't do it. I mean, if you're drafting him at ADP, he's, he's either possibly your wide receiver one, if you start off RB, uh, RB or you're, you're really hoping that he's given wide receiver one production. And that's just uh, the volatility is not entirely a bad thing, but I am concerned with the target share and air yard share uh, along with, there's Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown was good when he when he got in the second half of the season. I was playing like he was effective. There's a reason that target share for Mike Evans was 18%. So for me, Mike Evans, that's one of my busts. And then my other one, because I've always been venting about this guy, is Daryl Henderson. Look, his ADP right now is 52. I just think he sucks. Like from a fantasy football perspective, I think he just sucks. Like he had a 4.3% shotgun carry rate. Like what that tells me is 
he is the first and second down you hand the ball up the middle but he's not out there on third downs he's not not out there in valuable ppr plays he ran 135 routes last season that was number 44 that's pretty decent and a target share of 4.6 percent so like on big scale things like we talk about how nick chubb and derrick henry are are just they like people will I won't say avoid them in PPR, but they dock them a lot because they're like, yeah, they're just not involved in the passing game. Well, Daryl Henderson's target share <laughs> makes it look so much better. Like that 4.6% is horrible. Like I think um, a guy like Jalen Samuels is running back that like barely played, but even he had a target share that was higher. And I just, I truly believe if you, if you're drafting Daryl Henderson right now, you're drafting him at his absolute ceiling. He's going RB 24, 25. And we know, we all know this. Every single fantasy football analyst knows this. The Rams are going to bring in somebody. They're going to bring in somebody, someone that can catch passes. None, none of the running backs are proven in the pros at pat and pass catching. And Henderson, sure, like he runs well. When we had Santiago on the show like that, Daryl Henderson was a guy that graded out really well on his rushing yards over expected but he, he's a zero. He's a zero in the passing game. And he didn't, he didn't really do it in college. He hasn't done it in two years. Like I just feel like this is going to be such a massive trap for people. So that's my wide receiver running back bust. And I don't think you're allowed to label someone a bust just because they hate your spreadsheets. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Mike Evans takes any spreadsheet on Twitter and makes it apparently void and null because he just doesn't fit the round holes, even though he's a round peg. But my God, dude, at some point you got to just sit down and say, I don't, know, Tom how, Brady. I don't know why, but I got to buy like Mike <laughs> Evans somehow just gets it done and it never he makes does. sense. It never will make sense. Just embrace it. I mean, he's costly, but. I, I can't completely hate him. I have very little of him, so I agree with you, but he is the spreadsheet killer. So yeah. you're, he's probably your arch en- en- enemy in he, terms of he, Oh, he players. is. I have hated him for like half a decade, but I, I do think like in this particular case now, like a valid case can be made because with Godwin and Bre- like, it's just a matter of before he at least had a high target share, I even pulled up like 2019. I, I want to say it was like 22 or 23% target share, which is like, okay, you could still be productive, but man, it is a bit like, I know it's just four or 5% drop, but that's all it takes. <laughs> like, I wish I would have pulled up like the target share of like the top 15 wide receivers that probably would have made my case. I just, I highly doubt any of them outside of Mike Evans and his touchdowns. <laughs> I bet all the other 14 are like well above 20%. <laughs> It's uh, I'm sure the parody of the NFL will find a way to make Mike Evans relevant once again, whether it be an injury, a busted coverage a week, or just Tom Brady inflating the balls to the exact right amount (laughs) to fall into his gracious hands. But the parody of the NFL always strikes back on the best made arguments. And that's a really good argument. So (laughs) head on a swivel, bud. Head on a swivel. Oh, yeah. That's Tom Brady. Tom Brady is going to make him great. And I am converted. I, I am a Tom Brady. Like I, I have to go and like shave my head and go worship a Tom Brady idol. Um, You're a born that, again Brady. See, Aaron, guy. I see got Aaron, 
I, I was gonna go and award you so many points on this one, and, 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 and you know, I was like, "Hey, maybe this is the game that Aaron come and then he just Tom Brady kiss asses, and here we go." I wasn't even gonna go. bring up Brady. I figured I'd do it enough on Twitter. I, was, I thought I was, that's where it was going. Oh no, no, listen. I mean, even Jesus had twelve disciples. Mike Evans is, you know. <laughs> very very glorious soul to be attached but yeah dude doesn't make sense um i i don't like drafting him at adp but if he slips a little bit there's an argument for it it's an argument for it i i do have the most antonio brown on that team though for sure i mean because there is a legit chance antonio brown finishes as like a top 14 receiver yeah I, I got a lot of brown in best ball uh, myself. All right. We're going to move on to the next topic. Oh, wait, some points, some points. Oh, Dara Henderson, by the way, 100% agree with that take. But let's see. We got Mike Evans. And then but if thinking Tom Brady. Okay. All right. All right. So okay, yes. so before so before we move on, you need to one more thing about Mike Evans. You say, hey, okay, quick jab. Sorry, sorry, Aaron. Um, listen, if you're fading Mike Evans for all those reasons, fine. Then you also got to be fading my guy who I came prepared with for this, and that was DJ Moore for all the same <sighs> reasons of just that that uncertain workload. Even though he deserves more, and all the competition and question, and now and yeah, he doesn't even have the best quarterback of all time so like you know if if we're talking about that dj Moore in the fourth round you you gotta draft dj Moore before brandon i you chase claypool t higgins like i love dj Moore the player i don't like dj Moore the 2021 redraft value it's just not there for me i mean listen i had him on my team last year i drafted him in the third round and he was one of those guys that his end of year stat line looked good but he did not help me any week and i don't see the situation changing this year especially too because we saw that the Panthers shifted towards the end of the year to using Curtis Samuel more and using the other guys more. So I, that consolidated target share they had the first couple of weeks, I don't think it's there. So listen, if you're going to hate Mike Evans and come at one of my guys, Ooh. then I just got to say, be consistent. I'm going to come at one of your guys. Oh, that one pains me. Right, right true. to the jugular. Oh. <laughs> you know, Aaron, you had, an, you had an edge there. You had an edge. And then I wrote an article. He, wrote up, he brought up DJ Moore. I mean, a new information. And uh, I love <sighs> DJ Moore. So, therefore, yeah, I did new information. Uh, I'm saying be, be some... consistent. If you're going to yeah. love <laughs> DJ Moore, then you can't fade Mike Evans. They're in the same situation. <laughs> but Evans is on the better team. So, just <sighs> be consistent. I understand the price is a little different. But, like, come on. The pain. The pain. Oh, man. That was brutal. But, you know. I always, I like to always go back and look back on that and be like, do I, and admittedly, I am a hater of Mike Evans. So maybe I can go back, can look at the numbers. Last season, I was able to be, I was able to have someone convert me to Will Fuller. Maybe, maybe this is five years in the making. I can have someone like, turn me towards Mike Evans. Put it this way. Have you ever seen Bob Ross paint something before? Mike Evans is like a Bob Ross painting. The first 80 strokes, you have no idea what's going on, where we're going, and how we're going to get there. But by the time it's done, you're like, oh, my God, that's the most beautiful cabin in the woods I've ever seen on a starry, moony night. So give it a I chance. Love it. I love it. Bob Ross. Mike Evans, Bob Ross. <laughs> that's the metaphor I'm going with. Mike Evans and Bob Ross's artwork. I actually like it. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Moving on. Next 
topic. That's stuff. We already did that topic. Come on, don't give me more yellow. All right. Defensive chatter. Defensive special teams chatter. Chris, start us out with this. Go ahead. This is my thing, man. So I wrote an article last year for Player Profiler, finding the next league-winning defense. And the whole premise was, like, let's forget spending a lot of draft capital on a defense. How can we find one that's drafted outside of the top 150 picks that's going to finish in the top five? It doesn't have to be the number one score, but a defense that you're going to keep on your roster all year and not have to worry about streaming defense. Or if you're playing, like, the FFPC best ball where it's 2018s with defense and kickers, someone reliable but cost-effective. Because defenses go early, man. Like, Pittsburgh – is the 103rd defense picked right now by consensus ADP in leagues that have it. Like, I'm sorry, the 103rd overall pick. That's like yeah. a top – that's in the top 10 rounds on a defense. That's crazy considering Pittsburgh has the hardest strength of schedule by Vegas win totals this year. And, you know, like it, the defense is not going to be worth a, a round nine pick. So last year, basically I looked at the last three years of defensive finishes compared to ADP. And typically of the top 10 defenses – Maybe like four of them will finish in, in the top 10. And you usually get the number one scoring defense out of there, but not every time. Um, and I noticed a lot of trends in this one that you saw every year as to what led to this defense being undervalued and why did they outperform ADP by so much. So my first parameter was they had to be picked after pick 150. So they could not be an early pick. They were not one of those first nine defenses taken because that defeats the purpose of the value. So it just faded all those, you know, for, forgot all of them. The second thing I noticed was a recent influx of talent, but not necessarily just fluffing the roster, like actually bringing in talent that you wouldn't look at it and maybe not necess necessarily recognize the name value, but bolstering the unit. And then a team where their game plan was defense oriented. You just don't see it as often, but they still exist. So like that legendary Patriots defense from two years ago in fantasy, super defense oriented, you know, so the, uh, the team I, I, Oh, and then also soft schedule. So like that Patriots defense had the softest schedule of like the last decade for any team ever. And it was so good in um, fantasy that year, 2019, I think it was. So like, the team I identified last year was the Colts and I was spot on. That article was like my, one of my one out of a hundred successful fantasy takes from last year. It was, it was a learning year for me last year, but I got better, but that one was a hit because the Colts were drafted as like the 12th defense in the, in like the two hundreds and they finished as like the, the overall number third defense or something. And like, yeah, they didn't have the most turnovers. They weren't the dolphins, but you can't predict the most turnovers. I can at least right. find a team that's going to work. And why did the, why did the Colts work last year? They had by Warren Sharp, sharp football stats. Again, Aaron likes this. They had the softest strength of schedule based on Vegas win totals and Vegas win totals is the only way I'm willing to look at strength of schedule. And, um, because they just know. So they had the softest schedule by far. They bought in DeForest Buckner. They bought in, you know, some talented guys that you wouldn't necessarily think of as being that league breaking, but they made the defense better. They invested in Phil Rivers, a pretty game managing quarterback. They bought in Jonathan Taylor. Like they clearly indicated that they were going to play defense and run the ball. And that's exactly what they did. And there's a good level of confidence that they were going to play defense well, because they had talent and that it would be easier to do so because the schedule was easy and it worked out. So looking at that this year, where do we find that? And to me, there's three options, really two options, and in a sense, one option. But the, the, the kind of fits the criteria, but it's too expensive, and I don't really like anyway, is San Francisco. They do have the easiest schedule by far, Warren Sharp, but they're currently the seventh defense drafted, 135th pick overall, so they're not that cheap. But 
they lost some guys like Richard Sherman, but I think overall there's enough juice on that defense and enough indication of this team to continue playing the way it does that they'll probably return value. They're just a little too expensive for me, um, but they'll probably be one of those top 10 defenses that stays in the top 10 after this year. The two that really stick out are um, the one I was on all off season until I actually looked into it for the show. I just had my mind changed with Denver. Um, and I know people are skeptical about Denver defense because they're worried about the quarterback play, but here's how I look at it. They bought in Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a game manager, or they're going to get an improved version of Drew Locke. Cause if Drew Locke is still garbage, they just start Teddy. So I'm not worried about the quarterback play, keeping the defense on the field too often. They're clearly going to run the ball. They invested heavily in the run game and the offensive line, and they had a very strong influx of talent. Let's not forget they have talent. They did. They, they kept their veterans that they could have cut the save cap. And, you know, they kept Bob Miller. They still have Bradley Chubb, who's now healthy. Like, why are we forgetting about how good these players are? And then they overhauled their secondary, which sucked last year. They now have Patrick Sertain and they bought in Kyle Fuller. So like talent was bought in. They have the, seventh easiest schedule by sharp football stats and they're going to play defense and run the ball but i like them slightly less than cleveland simply because cleveland will do a much better job at managing games and for all the same reasons cleveland had a lot of talent they bought in talent where it matters john johnson jadavian Clowney taking a flyer on tack mckinley who could always rebound his career in cleveland you know they have existing studs um that were already on this team and they're going to obviously be run heavy. I mean, come on. I don't need to explain to people that Cleveland is going to run the ball and manage the game. And contrary to my fantasy take, Baker Mayfield is a good quarterback. He'll be a good game manager in his third, fourth. He's got it figured out more or less, even if I don't love his fantasy ceiling. So like Cleveland defense definitely stands to really hit it. And they have the second easiest schedule by strength of schedule. And you know, they, they, they do get to play the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger twice a year. They'll probably give Joe Burrow a run for his money. I mean, Lamar Jackson and, and the Ravens could always fumble the ball a few times on them. And then the rest of the schedule is not that hard. So I, I think – and they're 54th overall defense. Denver is the 161st overall defense. So honestly, if you're playing like in an FFPC 28-man uh, best ball league, just draft Cleveland and Denver in back-to-back rounds. Double tap defense, walk out of there. One of them will hit. You don't need both. It's defense anyway at the position. And in a seasonal league, just whichever one falls. If someone drafts Cleveland first, take Denver. Someone takes Denver first, take Cleveland. Just don't overpay on either of them. You know, if 49ers fall, take the 49ers. If the Steelers fall to the 18th pick, take the Steelers. But they're not going to fall. So that's just where I'm at with defense. Like, based on my experience last year. And I'm going to write another article for it this year. And that's probably going to be one of those three teams in it once I do a little bit more diving. I love it. Love it. Aaron, anything? Well, what the reason I wanted to talk, like, oh, we got to get this on the show sheet, is taking the listeners, like, behind, like, take the curtains and open them back here, is that we we recorded a show a few weeks ago on defenses because I was like, Ryan, we got to talk about defenses. Some leagues still have defenses. I'm still in a handful of leagues, and, and I always like, get better at drafting because it just kind of seems to be random and I, I i don't remember the take fully but i probably passed him because i know this then is in my dms i heard you no, no oh, i i heard you hate on denver and i was like jesus christ we're gonna have a round so, table of, of aaron's bad takes here tom brady <laughs> denver you so, know it's, it's it's the knights of, of, of aaron's poor take round tables so i always when I get feedback from Chris, 
Like I always go, okay, I need to go back and look at the numbers to make sure. And, you know, you talked about coming around on, on a defense. I did too at Denver and, and some of the stuff kind of uh, it laps laps over with what you're talking about of like, yeah, they, they invest, especially in the secondary, they, they brought in, they even brought in Ronald Darby to, to be the nickel back too. So it's like, okay. And Von Miller being healthy. That's, that's huge. Cause he's, he, he's one of their primary pass rushers. So it's like, okay. So I definitely see where you're coming from of like, when you bring in a lot of talent and then I started going on like pro football references and I was, I was looking at the advanced defense stats, trying to like, kind of look for like something like a trend of what the top defenses had. And an interesting thing stood out to me is that there were 10 teams last year that had a 25% or higher pressure rate. Like obviously pressure is important because you get pressures, you're either getting sacks or you're forcing quarterbacks into interceptions and yeah, eight of those 10, eight of the 10 teams that finished 25% or higher pressure rate, they were top 13 defenses. Then the other two, one was Philadelphia actually finished 15th and people crapped on them. And then Denver was all the way at, at 22nd. And I was like, wow, like what in the world? Like they're, they're in great company. Like the, like eight of those 10 were like in a 12 team league, we're starting defenses. Denver was just this massive outlier. And, and then Denver was bottom 10 in interception rate and bottom half in passes defended. But then as we discussed, they went and invested heavily in their secondary. It's obviously Denver knew they had a problem in their secondary. They addressed it um, with first round NFL draft capital and veteran free agency. And, and now I go, yeah, I, I see it with Denver. I, I will, I will admit, and I said it with Will Fuller. It's like, if I have a bad take, like, or if someone, someone can, uh, wants to challenge my, my viewpoint, I'll go back and I'll look at stuff. And I have now, I've pulled a 180. I am on board. I think Dem- I'm with you. Denver, and I did actually at least mention that Cleveland was a defense I was high on. And there's one other defense, too, that, that I really like, that I, that I feel that people can get pretty cheap. They, real, they actually real, finished- real quick, yeah. small thing for Denver, like, also, let's not disrespect Big Fangio, amazing defensive coach, right? right? He's running the show. And let's not disrespect the fact that Denver knows they're in the driver's seat to get a big-name quarterback next year. That's yeah. why they passed on fields. And they're they're trying to make the playoffs. They don't care about a high draft pick. They want to advertise why you should take a team-friendly deal and come to Denver if you're Aaron Rodgers, potentially Matt Ryan, you know, Deshaun Watson. Like, you come here, take a pay cut. We have all the other pieces. You know, they're trying to mysticize some big-name yep. quarterback next year. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be competitive. <laughs> but I'm sorry. Give me your other defenses. Let's hear yeah, the The other one, like, you talked about the 49ers. I'm actually sticking to the same division. I kind of like the Arizona Cardinals. And, and some of it, I think, is – the things you look for in defenses, like they obviously brought in JJ Watt and they, they did, they did some retooling in the secondary. And then Chandler Jones only played five games. He had one sack after a season where he had 19 sacks. And, and even with those two guys that, that I'm essentially counting Chandler Jones as like, that's a, that is a new addition to the defense. Like they still got a lot of sacks last year. I have the number. Do, 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 do. Where is it? I want to say it was 46 sacks. I guess I didn't write it down. That's okay. Some of the things that that I liked for them was, A, they were in that top 10 of pressure rate, so 25% or higher, which also led to all the sacks that they got without, obviously, J.J. Watt because he was with the Texans and for most of the season, Chandler Jones. So arguably their two best pressures this year, they didn't have last year. 
And, and then one of the other stats that I do like is, I mean, we'd like air yards on offense. We usually say that that's more predictive towards fantasy success or a bounce back. Like Arizona, they allow the third fewest air yards, 1,917 per pro football reference. And I, I saw some parallels to, to Baltimore because they had almost an identical pressure rate and almost an identical air yards. And then you got Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, some mobile quarterbacks that that could put pressure, put pressure on, on opposing defenses. That I mean, I I think that this Arizona offense, especially you got year two of Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins connection. AJ Brown or sorry, AJ Green's nothing, but Rondell Moore could be exciting, can add a new dimension to the offense. And where I kind of get that is like if this offense is electrifying and, and putting the other team on holy crap, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to pass to catch up to these uh to the Arizona Cardinals. Then the Cardinals with this awesome pass rush already, if it carries over, and uh, the secondary starts getting some interceptions because uh I didn't have their but they were already a top 10 defense last year. I don't know. Do you have the ADP for the Cardinals? Where, where are they going? Are they um, in that 150? I don't have it, but probably further back. Um, I was taking a look over at it before. I don't think the Cardinals are up there. It's it's like all the usual suspects. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. They're worth having exposure to. Like if you're FFPC, high stakes best ball drafters at the FFPC, they play with defense, defense and kicker. So usually it's two or three defense. Like I would, I haven't done any yet on the site, but when I start doing it, like I'll definitely have some exposure because of the reasons you said, but I wouldn't peg them as my lock on target. I would have them lower on the list than the other teams we, we both mentioned because the strength of schedule is 24th hard. It's not that it matters all that much, but it is an impediment and they're not, their game plan isn't defense oriented. It's like you said, they're going to make you throw to catch up. You're, you're going to hope on them to score defensive points. Like you hope on the chiefs to score defensive points and the chiefs mm-hmm. are really hit or miss, you know, whereas Colts, you can get more consistent scoring from last year. The chiefs have those 20 point weeks, but then those non 20 point weeks. So like I, gotcha. they're a little bit of fool's gold to me. Like that's one where I feel like they kind of fluffed the defensive a bit instead of necessarily mm-hmm. amping it up. But of course, JJ okay. Watt's amazing, but I don't know how much I like the game plan coming out of Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know. I, that's an offensive oriented team. So the game plan isn't to lean on the defense, but you're certainly correct that they could have like what the Miami dolphins were last year. Like if, if Arizona leads the league in sacks and, and interceptions, but also is 25th in yards allowed and points allowed, no one's shocked. So, but you're really gambling on these unpredictable plays, but they're certainly a, a, a good option. I, I would say I would, I'll definitely be drafting a, fair chunk of Arizona and if I missed out on one of those on the Browns or the or the Broncos they would be one of the next teams I would look at yeah because gotcha. like because so, they do have the talent so I think we've kind of nailed some of the big things to look for is a it certainly helps if the, if the head coach is defensive oriented I like that you looked at Warren Sharp's like uh strength of schedule there because that's always right now yeah perfect because like that's something that was that's a key thing i was hoping to hoping to get there because strength of schedule it seems that so many places have it but it's very subjective but i love warren sharp if he's got something on that and i i clearly haven't stumbled upon that yet i'm gonna be checking that out so strength of schedule a defensive-minded head coach certainly helps and then it's as you and i both agreed and when we were looking at teams it's like look for Look for teams that have brought in significant pieces there. Because Kyle Fuller, for people that that follow along on player profiler, and I know this because I did wide receiver cornerback matchups, Kyle Fuller was graded 
really highly in, in the rankings for player profilers. So a guy that like stats wise, I'm not sure if Fuller may have had like one interception, but he was so much better than like the, the interception. <laughs> he oh yeah, he's, he's an all-star man. He's one of yeah. those guys that doesn't have the name recognition, but he right. can play. I mean, the bears, that's why the bears aren't on at all for defense because they lost right. Kyle Fuller. I mean, it's just Khalil Mack now. Like, Absolutely. That's it. So, so, yeah, I mean, you're totally My right. apologies on my bad Denver Broncos <laughs> take from a few weeks ago after some proper research because really, honestly, it is this one of the things I always want to go into waters that I'm not familiar with because I think to become more well-rounded and better like you have to challenge yourself a little bit. And I was trying to be like, okay, I know like there's trends I look for running backs and receivers uh, quarterbacks going to be, Ooh, that's going to take some time. But I was like, I need to get better defenses because that can make the difference, especially like you we're all smart drafters here. We're going to be the first team taking a defense in our leagues in our home leagues. So trying to find, those hidden gems here, which you mentioned with, with Denver, and we both liked Cleveland. Like we were on the same page on that one. We, just, we found our two. <laughs> real, real quick, here's here's the text I actually sent Aaron because so this was on a DW pod I think two weeks ago. You you were talking about the defense. It was on the podcast, and I texted Aaron. I said I said we're gonna need to start recording an after show so I can debate you on these whole highly polarizing things you're saying because people in traffic while I'm listening to the podcast in my car are starting to get concerned that I'm screaming at my car radio that I'm angry <laughs> because you're fading Denver's defense even because the backup QB throws interceptions because your reason was <laughs> Drew Locke's gonna throw a lot of interceptions so they're never gonna be on the field I was like no, <laughs> he's the backup what are we talking about he's either throwing less or Teddy's in <laughs> I love it. But yeah, and and I know that Chris can always keep me accountable on that. So I promise the listeners of the show, if I have a bad take, just, just give me some time. I will be, I will come out. I will admit that I have a bad take and then I will, I will properly research and, and see where, where I screwed up. Like what, what things I was looking at that were wrong. And so you can thank Chris that I came around. I saw the light with Denver and, and man, just, yeah. Imagine they get a quarterback Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson. That is a dangerous team. That wrap it up for the defensive talk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, we 15 minutes in on one topic and it's the defensive one. Okay. That was the trigger word. That was the trigger word. All right. I I promise you I'm not as heated on anything else besides defenses because we're fantasy football analysts. Shouldn't we be caring about defenses? No, but I I knew I was like, if I don't get that on the show sheet, Chris is going to make sure that's on the show sheet. And I knew it was something I was going to have to, I was going to have to atone for my sins there. So it's out of the way. Okay. Okay. No, all good. All good. Moving on. Next topic. Let's try it again. Here we go. I'm going to put this down. Defense again. Top wide receiver duos. <laughs> this is for you, Aaron, I believe, to kick off. Go ahead. Gotcha. So I, I started this one by looking at last season at top wide receiver duos. And what we were looking for were to uh, a wide receiver that could both finish in the top 12. It's rare, but actually last season we had two sets of teammates. One was the Seattle duo, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. The other was the Minnesota Vikings duo of 
Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. So you have something to look at and kind of look at what, what do these duos have? And the number one thing that stood out, and it seems to be common sense, but is they both had high target share. Like they, these, all four of those players were like the 24 to 25% target share. And if you think about these offenses last year, start with Seattle, like outside of Lockett and Metcalf, who else was catching passes? David Moore occasionally would have a decent game, but Greg Olson was supposed to catch passes. He just was too washed. So it's not surprising. Guys, Russell Wilson was going to let it cook for half a season. And for Minnesota, Minnesota is probably shocking for people because we think of them as being a run-oriented team. So initially when I was getting my list, I was like, oh, I got to find the teams that pass a lot. It doesn't seem that passing a lot is necessarily the thing that we got to look for. Uh, I like, I, I will say, I like Cincinnati. I like Jamar Chase and uh, N.T. Higgins, but there is an obstacle there. That's uh, Tyler Boyd. He, he's not going to go away. Boyd was, was very productive, and, and that's why I couldn't quite go with Cincinnati. If they do that, I'd be I wouldn't be overly surprised, but I feel like Boyd is something that those other two teams didn't have. Now, the duo I went with, one I think is is an obvious one, especially because of an injury, unfortunately, but Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. They both actually, I want to say, did this in 2019. And in 2020, they, they failed to, thanks to Mr. Jared Goff. One of the things the Rams want to do is they do actually pass a lot. Like Sean McVay up till last season, like they were top five in passing yards. Um, so like the passing offenses do produce a lot of yards and, and that's why you want to get Matthew Stafford. But you look at just the target shift. There's Cup, there's Woods. Outside those two, we talk about Daryl Henderson. He's not a pass catcher. Higby, Higby is more of a red zone guy. Like that's when he has those big games, it's because he scores a touchdown. And he does get some target share, but not like eight, nine targets a game. So looked at Cup and Woods. I feel like they could both hit the 24 to 25% target share that the other two duo from 2020 did. That's my safe bet. And this one, maybe it's because I kept researching Denver. <laughs> I This would be my dark horse team. I think Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy could possibly do this. That's one I thought about. Because it starts with Teddy Bridgewater, and we tie a lot of things together here. But DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, it was Robbie Anderson, once it was 19 in total PPR points, and DJ Moore is 24. DJ Moore had so many drops. Like, he, it was uncharacteristic. His drop rate was like quadruple of what it had been the past two seasons. And funny enough, Jerry Judy, drop problem. Oh, but we know drops don't necessarily translate from year to year who knows next season maybe jerry judy doesn't have a drop problem maybe it's closer to a two to three percent instead of whatever his drop rate was last year and Cortland sutton maybe gets a touch because robbie anderson and dj moore didn't score touchdowns they combined for seven touchdowns and sutton the way i see it sutton was better than Anderson, especially when you get to the red zone, like Sutton can score touchdowns. I'm not worried so much on, on that. And, and Jerry Judy, he had he had all those airy hearts just like DJ Moorhead. I could see it. It's it's a dark horse. It is slim chance of happening, but I'm not worried about Bridgewater 
Bridgewater being the reason that they can't do it because there is the Carolina example of Curtis Samuel. Like he, he was able to have three top 30 wide receivers and, and yes, Tim, Tim Patrick is, he's a solid, he's a, I'd say he's a good receiver. He's able to function as a wide receiver three, but his target share last year was 16%. And that's without Sutton for the entire season. Be careful, no Aaron. You're treading real close to hating on Tim Patrick right now, and that that might be my line. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'll say the reason I went with Denver over Cincinnati was just Boyd is going to be more of a detriment to to the top duo in Cincinnati than uh, than Tim Patrick is. Like, I want to see Tim Patrick more involved. He made me look really smart several times in my wide receiver cornerback matchups, but the 16% target share without Sutton. With Sutton there, where could we realistically expect his his target share in that type of offense? Now, Fant, Fant could be problematic, and that's why this is my dark horse team. I think there's there's a chance there's a chance with Sutton and Judy. Some of the things we that that we just like with air yards, and all it takes is Sutton scoring some touchdowns. <laughs> like the Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, they were both mid to low tier are a wide receiver twos and they combine for seven touchdowns so Sutton and Judy they produce better at touchdowns I, I could see it it's admittedly my dart throw but what what wide receiver duos you got for us this I could see it with Denver but I'm also not trying to strain my eyes trying to see it you know my health insurance ain't that great so I can't really go to the eye doctor but listen I mean I could see it if you get me binoculars but okay um no I I don't hate it it's it's the right approach but so I I'm a trends guy right so I I throw a couple extra layers on the trend the first trend I noticed the first trend everyone notices is as you said Aaron the target share matters but now and as you also alluded to, it needs to be consolidated. So a team like Cincinnati where there's Tyler Boyd, a team like you know Dallas where there's a Michael Gallup, we can't bet on it now in the offseason because we need an injury for this target share to close up. Um, a few other things I noticed. So the last two years, the popular ones people would recognize are Minnesota and Seattle. And they both fall into these categories. But I noticed that most of the teams of the last 15 years fall, fell into these categories. Um, let's not say 15. Let's say like the last eight years since like I've been really paying attention and can recognize what's going on. They're a strong pocket presence at quarterback. You know, Kirk Cousins is hated on, but he's a very good pocket passer. If you look at his stats, Russell Wilson is like, yes, he has a mobile skill set, but he's a pocket passer. You know, like, so you have a strong pocket passing presence. You have a bad defense, but a defense that's good enough to keep you competitive in overall. Um, what is it like? Uh, like you're going to have a your uh, time of p- 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 possession, right? Like your defense isn't so bad that you're never on the field, but they're bad enough that they're not helping you in games. So you're playing a lot of offense, but you have a lot of offensive opportunity. And surprisingly enough, these teams have a very strong running game presence. Dalvin Cook on Minnesota, Chris Carson on Seattle. There's actually almost an acumen to run the ball than to pass the ball. And when you look at the actual target share, there's really no tight end presence. There's no short yardage presence. So the two receivers also are usually studs, you know, great receivers, but they're getting used in every quadrant because there is no short yardage specialist or anyone like that for design plays. They're design plays. They're undesigned plays. They're everything. And that was Metcalf and Lockett. That was Diggs, Diggs and Thielen. And then, Jefferson and Zealand in consecutive years. And the one team that really screens to me that fits all that criteria 
is Ryan's got it. If for those listening, Ryan's holding up a sign because he did the calculus before I could speak. Tennessee Titans, Julio Jones and AJ Brown studs. There's no tight end presence really. I mean, Fersker, there's no one else on that team. Strong running game. Ryan Tannehill's a strong pocket passer. That's a defense that's notoriously just good enough to get off the field sometimes, but not very good. They fit the criteria. And not that I know anything. I'm most likely wrong about anything I've ever said in my life, not even just fantasy football. But if I'm right, then Julio Jones is the best value receiver in the fourth round in 2021. If I'm right and I identified all the right markers of a wide receiver one tandem, which they fit into that mold, in my opinion. Excellent. Excellent. I love it. That's who I would have went with. Tennessee, tighten up. Okay, before we get into the next topic, just a little point check We have the captain of salary with 20 and the EDG with 22. So slight edge to the early down grinder, Mr. Chris. Now, next, spin it, see if we can get one of these topics or, or you know, maybe a grinding my gear, something, something new so we don't have to spin again. Best ball best ball strategy chris wanted to talk some make it whose turn is it anyway one two three four five it Chris's turn. Chris's turn. Yes. turn yeah so there you go man there you go yeah i mean so I talk talked... some best ball anchor let's do it go. yeah i talked my i talked way too much best ball last time trying to keep less best ball but well i'll keep this brief so basically i do every draft strategy in best ball i don't walk in saying i'm doing zero rb zero whatever it it depends how the draft falls to me like three weeks ago i was doing a ton of anchor rb and zero rb because like rbs were just being drafted so high that wide receiver value is great on underdog now everyone's drafting wide wide receivers the last three underdog teams i drafted were all three rbs in the first four rounds because the value has just been crazy and i've also had Yeah. So like, I'm just going against the trend at any given time, wherever drafters are forcing value, I'm chasing it. And you need to be flexible like that in best ball, just in in my opinion. So these people that like, it has to be zero wide receiver. It has to be zero RB. It has to be this, like every strategy is viable. It depends if the dress presenting you value for that strategy. And these days, honestly, I came here super ready to talk about anchor RB and I'm starting to sway back to a robust RB a bit because I'm starting to get Josh Jacobs in the fifth round. Like that's actually good value for Josh Jacobs. I'm starting to consider David Montgomery's workload a little more seriously, you know, and these guys are falling, man. So DeAndre is always there in like the third round. And right. now wide receiver value is kind of gone. Devontae Adams is back to the first round. We lost Michael Thomas. It's crazy how drastic early ADB changes from just mm-hmm. losing two players. Just losing Akers and Thomas changed a lot in early round drafts. So I also wrote an article recently. I won't go too far into it. Go to player profile. It's a great article about um, why anchoring all positions is useful because hit rates are so low in the late rounds. So I looked at just for players drafted after the 12th round, how, what was the percentage they had a top 12 finish? Cause let's be honest in best ball, you want top 12 finishes. QBs were 17%. Tight ends were 12 and a half percent running backs 5% and wide receivers 3.3%. So like quarterback and tight end, you're four to five times as likely to have whoever you draft around 16 hit a top 12 tight end week than a top 12 running back week. And I understand there's scoring disparity between what that justifies, but if we're looking at just filling that slot on your roster and not compared to the other slots, there's actually a lot of merit in pursuing the one-off positions late because it's like a, if you have like a set of darts, you know, 
and you can pick two darts from either set. One set has 10 darts. That's quarterback. The other set has 40 darts. That's receiver. And you know that each set is going to have five winning darts. You get two from each set. You have a one and eighth chance of the wide receiver set, but a 50% chance with the quarterback set. So like, especially too, like starting quarterbacks are drafted in the 18th round, starting tight ends are drafted in the 18th round. Me and Aaron, were just looking over his team for the industry best ball draft we're doing with Roto Underworld. And he's looking at potentially a second tight end in the last round. And we literally named off seven dudes. We'd be willing mm-hmm. to toss on that roster. So like anchor everything. And I w- I'm not going to say just draft quarterbacks past round 12. Like, no, because you still want the competitive edge that an elite quarterback provides you. Josh Larkey went into that early in the off season just buoy it. So I anchor everything. Like a good example was my Scott Fishbowl team where I walked out with one player at each position. Like if you start your draft, let's say Alvin Kamara and then Darren Waller, and then you draft Keenan Allen in the, in the early third, and you walk out of the fourth round with, you know, Lamar Jackson, literally one player at each position. That's amazing in my opinion, because now if now for the quarterback and tight end, now I'm just staying out of the middle. I, I, I don't, if even if I'm going two or three at either position, I stay out of the middle. I, I want the later guys like Matt Ryan is drafted in the middle of every draft. You can get Ben Roethlisberger 10 rounds later. Are there end of season stats going to be that different? Like not really. Uh, whereas wide receiver, you know, the guy you draft in, in the middle, it's going to be drastically better than the dart you're taking at the end of, of, of the draft. Same with running back. These both have seriously low hit rates. So, like, just get both those positions early. I don't care how many of each you take in the first four rounds. Just get both those positions loaded up on your bench by round 10. And then you can worry about your second tight end and your second quarterback because you're probably going to hit better. So, like, I just anchor everything. I want one to two studs at, at running back and receiver in the first four rounds. Then I'll consider a stud quarterback and tight end, you know, or if you get a good value on Kelsey or Waller, do it. And then just go from there. So that's my best ball thing for today that I've learned since last time where I was a little more rigid against things like a third quarterback or taking a lot of robust RBs. I'm just saying whatever the draft gives you in terms of value, take that approach and anchor everything. And there's no need to, you know, draft in such a way that you're not drafting quarterbacks around 14 or tight ends in round 15. You should leave room on your roster to attack those positions late and early. I really like it. You know what? I just want to say one thing. Aaron and I talk a lot about this word flexibility when you were talking about, you know, varying. But I really like this because I don't so much. It's for me, it's more like the first five rounds. I found a lot of best ball drafts. I'm do, And I, I do a lot of slow draft ones because then I can like hit them up, hit up a pick one. I'm on break at work or something. I love doing the slow draft ones on underdog. But I found myself with a lot of like first five rounds. I'm getting two running backs, wide receiver, quarterback, tight end. One of one of the, top, you know, like a Waller, Kittle, someone like that. And I'm finding myself with those teams often. So I've, I, I kind of am going that route. So I really like that. Aaron, sorry, go ahead. Uh, and, and actually, I like taking best ball strategy. I'm applying it to redraft too, because, I mean, everyone five years ago, zero uh, late round QB, right? <laughs> the idea was just draft basically draft your QB almost like the rounds before defensive kickers. <laughs> like I, I I would do that all the time. Uh, even even just last season, even this me looking back with the knowledge I've gained from having such awesome guests on this show, 
and being in the Roto Underworld and having people like Josh and, and his interns, um, Michael and, and Neil, like and these guys that run that that run the numbers. Like I did a robust RB the uh, draft for one of my home leagues where I. I started the draft with four straight running backs. You can only start three. And, and, you know, it was, it was so funny. The idea was like, ha like I'm taking these running backs and they can't start them, but it's such a dumb strategy. And like the anchor, everything is, is something that as I'm preparing for home drafts, I'm, my goal is, you know, to fill out besides defensive kickers, fill out all the offensive uh, starting positions within the, however many rounds, like if I have, I don't know, let's say eight offensive starters, then ideally round eight, like I've drafted guys that can start like that in maximizing like the, the, the value there, like, uh, like Josh, Josh Neal did a show on uh, the, on the code breaker podcast where he talked about like the zero RB teams that draft like seven wide receivers. And so like, it doesn't make any freaking sense. <laughs> like you're tra- the fifth, sixth, seventh round picks are just going to be sitting on the bench more often than not. Like, so yeah, I've, I've become like, when I first started doing basketball, it was robust RB, uh, and then like it, it did switch to anchor RB. But it, the flexibility is key. Like I just kind of I, I I start off with the rankings the first two or three rounds. I'm not going really that that radical at all. I'm like, oh, okay, like this, like these rankings say like these players should be should be best. And and after the third round, it's just going with what the draft gives me. Like like I had one I man, I really like Jalen Hurts. And I was used to taking him, I don't know, seventh round in a 12-team league. And it got to the 10th round. And I, I like, I, I honestly, I hadn't been paying attention. And then I looked, I was like, holy crap, Jalen Hurts is still available. It wasn't what I, I guess I would say I planned, but it was like, wow, you guys aren't going to take him. Then I'll take him. This is a guy that I absolutely believe in i planted my flag and said that he can be this year's qb number one in fantasy football uh so yeah flex flexibility sometimes it's just best of let the other 11 teams decide what you're going to do with your team and you'll end up happy you know don't don't reach stick within adps and you know this your your team each team's unique just make it logical too don't just let the draft come to you let the draft come to you, and however the first couple of rounds shake out, that's your strategy. And and understand, you should everyone should be intimately familiar with both strategies because it's to your advantage. Why are you yeah. going to just ignore the existence of zero RB when what if did you just back into the perfect zero RB team? You know, what if the first eleven picks off the board are straight running backs? You walk away with Kelsey Hill. You get to the third round and you say, "Well, Mahomes is still there. Let me put him on the squad." And I look at pick four, and well, they kept drafting running backs. My God, it's, it's the end of round four and or the beginning of round four, and like Allen Robinson's still there. Like now you're going into round five. This is a zero RB team, but you should now know how to attack the rest of the draft. Don't be there and now have your pants caught at, at your waist, you know, at, at your at your ankles because you've been so against zero RB, you don't even understand the fundamentals of it. Like there's validity to every draft strategy people put out there, learn them all. And whatever your draft is giving you, take that. If you're drafting with seven zero wide receiver or seven robust RB dudes, you, you want to be the eighth robust RB dude? Like, good luck. Just go, go against the grain. The grain's usually wrong Absolutely. in fantasy football. Go against the grain. Absolutely. Agreed. All That's right, all I good. got on my side. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I got to admit, 
Mr. Mr. Aaron. He's he's got a little bit uh, of a lead on you at the moment, but we have one more category left. Oh. We didn't get to any grinding my gears, but we do have a one category left. And that is not for you, Aaron. Oh, no, 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 no. This is for me and the EDG. And since you're going up against me, you automatically lose 10 points. Thank you very much, Chris, for playing. Um, so we're going to go ahead and do it like that. And I'm just, and, and here's what you're going to do. I may give you a minute to respond when I'm done, but th- th- this is my Baker Brady conversation I'm going to have with you real quick. Now, 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 let me start out by saying, I look at Tom Brady and his year last year was phenomenal. Not just the numbers, the metrics, his efficiency, he was great. And sure, there's a good chance he does it again this this year. But I'm going to say he doesn't. Father Time's going to get this son of a bitch eventually, Chris. It's going to happen. And maybe that I know I'm biased. I have nothing logical about this other than the dynasty part of my brain. Just like, remember, Peyton Manning just kind of the one year because that was a hell of a Denver offense before. And I'm just waiting for it for Tom Brady. Some people have been waiting a long time. And I just everybody seems to be really confident about the Bucks, And that's another thing. This always gives me bad feelings when teams, it's starting to give me a bad feeling about the Browns. Everybody's starting to get on the Browns and I'm starting to go, oh man, but I'll get into the Browns in a second. So more than likely I am wrong. It's Tom Brady. He's fucking fantastic. He takes care of himself, blah, 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 regurgitate. But I'm here to say, I'll chance being wrong. Baker is going to finish ahead of Brady this year. And here's why. See, you're just way too off. See, Chris, I see the look on your face. You're just way too down on Baker. Lots of people are, but I got something for you up there. Okay, so just listen to me, okay? Baker is ready for a career year, bro. And I'm going to tell you why. You look at the team overall. You were talking about the defense yourself. Now, many people would say it's a running team. He also throws to these running backs. There was plenty of pitches to Kareem Hunt for touchdowns. Okay, I'm looking at the connection that's been seen in camp with him and OBJ. Maybe they are finally connected because the idea that he was playing better. Yes, he was playing better when OBJ was gone. That doesn't mean necessarily that he's better without OBJ. They certainly weren't on the same page right away, but maybe that's coming together a little bit. I like the addition, the speed guy, Anthony Schwartz. You're, I just, I like what the Browns are doing, and I do believe the Brown, that Baker is going to take that next step. And if you really want to look at his metrics, man, you go look at him. Let me tell you something right here. Who was number one, number one in money throws last year? Do you know the answer to that, Chris? Um, I'm going to go with probably Tom Brady. (laughs) Yes, it was. Yes, it was. But do you know who was number two, Chris? Old guess here. Probably not Tom Brady. Baker Mayfield, Chris. (laughs) That is right. That is right, motherfucker. And if you look at his metrics from last year, his efficiency was amazing. He was on point the coaches this year said they're going to put more on his plate i believe baker will be ready for the more 
of on the plate. I think he's going to have an awesome fucking year. He's got scrambling mobility. Okay. You know, you got to give Tom Brady a little bit. He's got some rushing upside just because he can do that one yard running up the, you know, everybody push, I'll get it in the end zone or over the first down mark. Brady's got that down, but Baker's got a little scrambling ability. He's got that, you know, 74th percentile agility score. We like agility score when it comes to quarterbacks. That usually correlates to some scrambling ability. So I am down for Baker Mayfield this year, and I'm willing to risk that somehow, and we can make this into some crazy bet if you would like, my friend, but I am willing to risk and say it, Baker over Brady in 2021 and now you can tell me what a fool i am that's fine i'm i'll listen and i'll smile but this is this is it this is my hot take that i am standing i'm just i'm planting my and i probably wouldn't have done this if it wasn't for you mr chris and your tom brady love and especially my co-host just like like a lost dog just following it around and just tom brady ever (laughs) ever since you've been on the show so i'm gonna take the other side and i'm gonna risk it and I don't give a damn. And I'm going to say Baker over Brady in 2021. Go ahead and roast me and then we'll get the hell out of here. But I mean, listen, I, it's, it's, I wouldn't call it a roast because clearly before the show, Aaron knighted you and brought you onto his round table of bad takes. Um, So I would never disrespect a a proper knight. You know, a a proper knight has earned more through that, through the honor and acts of chivalry. So, uh, you know, in, in, in all due respect, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, fair opinion to have you know is it my opinion that's that's something i wouldn't say but it's an opinion now listen you see this frank Gore jersey i'm i have transcended the plane of disillusionism with the jets that i've actually gone full circle and i've gone from loathing the jets so bad for so long and escaping that denial of convincing yourself every year they'll be good to circling all the way back to ironically loving the jets again and it's it's all about breaking that cycle of denial. So I understand like father time exists, but you're clearly in denial about witnessing history, and that is Tom Brady. Um, you know, and and everything he does to supersede father time. I wouldn't be surprised if he retires from the NFL and begins to fly because he's conquered gravity next. You know, or you know Newton's law of thermal exchange. We'll just see him walking into a volcanic mountain, but he won't you know gain a single degree of temperature because that's what tom does he he supersedes the laws of nature so but again i listen i respect it baker mayfield can certainly take a tape is take a step forward in fact i'm a big nfl gambler and i've been really thinking about futures to take um i took a packers win the super bowl odd line when it was cheap with aaron Rodgers speculation and the two i've been considering i like to take two uh season-long props a year for who's going to win the Super Bowl, two futures, and I'm really considering I'm between the Ravens and, and, and the Browns. So I agree with you. Baker Mayfield, very ready to ascend. A lot of things you said, very accurate. Um, you, now, being good at football and being good at fantasy football this are not the same thing. Atlanta Falcons are one of the best fantasy football teams the last five years. They're also not a very good team with the exception of one year. So the Browns can be very good at football, but just looking at the supporting cast and the overall direction for them to find success, I don't believe that's through an excellent Baker Mayfield season, mostly too, because yes, he has running ability, but mostly a pocket passer, right? And he certainly improved. He, like I said, he has chops. Um, but if, if we're, if we're going to take skill off the table, when the Browns are in the red zone, regardless of who's that quarterback, 
it's probably going to Nick Chubb, probably going to like a running back. When Tom Brady and or any quarterback in Tampa gets to the red zone, what are his options? Are his options Jarvis Landry? Are his options injured Odell Beckham, Austin Hooper? No, his options are Rob Gronkowski, the greatest touchdown scoring tight end of all time. Mike Evans, someone so anomalous. He has half of Twitter, including Aaron, in just a rage of how does he not fit my spreadsheet. His Chris Godwin, <laughs> who is, you know, literally has God and win in his name. He has Antonio Brown, again, one of the greatest receivers of all time, red zone threat. He has a plethora of options. And if you're going to, you know, I'm just saying it's if you, for Baker to really do it, he's going to need to have crazy touchdown efficiency. It's not impossible. But if I had to take my money out of my wallet and wager who's going to score more touchdowns in 2021, it's going to be the guy throwing to like my NFL street team that I put together on like Madden, you know, not the guy throwing to like a real football team designed to run the clock and win games. Like I said, I want to watch the Browns in, in the Super Bowl, but I'm definitely not watching myself in a fantasy championship if Baker Mayfield's my QB one in a redraft league. So with all due respect, good night. <laughs> I will leave you there. Okay. Hey, hey, and you know what? I, I'm going to say, like I said, initially, I'm probably wrong probably not right on this. And uh, I, I would probably lose some sort of bet, but I wanted to stand How about this? my How about ground. This? And, and, oh, go ahead. How about this? We'll, we'll, we'll make a bet today right now on air that if the regular fantasy season, so week 17 or week 16 ends and Baker Mayfield has more overall points than Tom Brady, I need to think of something I'll do. How about this? If Tom Brady has more points, I get to host the show. For a, for a week instead of you. And if I like it, Baker Mayfield gets more points. I will admit that I was wrong about something. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's a deal. I'll take it. That's a All deal. Right. <laughs> All right, man. <clears throat> this could be and fun. I will say, because I admit, dude, I sorry. I admit, I, I, I know the father time thing and it does bother me because as much as I say, I could see Tom, a meteor could hit the fucking earth and there'd be Tom Brady and the cockroaches hanging out. That's what it would be. So like, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but I did. Like I said, I had to stop the, just the Tom Brady love and just plant a flag somewhere. And this is where I'm going. And I do feel, bakers uh you know a little underrated right now but we'll leave it there a any final thoughts aaron before we get out of here do you want to add anything oh, real quick I, I can't tell that this is the perfect way for this episode the return of the edg I, it is it, I, I had no control over making that the very last fucking topic you just, just you don't mess with <laughs> like, i, I was slowly raising a mic the whole time i'm not gonna lie and i i very very swiftly let go right at the end there <laughs> <laughs> and by the way by the way aaron there you go buddy you finally won one i'm, I'm not i'm not the jobber this week <laughs> no no you took him out you finally won one <laughs> all because of my bullshit baker brady category the prize <laughs> is an is, is an authentic signed baker mayfield jersey but it's signed by tom brady so it has value <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay you must come back again we have to have we we have to have a trilogy now we must Absolutely. at some point we'll okay call it return of the king is that taken for the third one i, no? I think no so. one's this ever one's called already going to be right? called return of the edg so uh, is what I thought I this was the uh two two takes first we have the fellowship of the roto underworld this is the two takes okay. baker and oh, tom okay. and then we'll have return of the king okay I like here it. we go i like Moving it <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, we're going to get the hell out of here before we run out of time. Stupid Zoom. All right, if we're out of final thoughts, if we're done, I'm going to go get some food. I'm sure everybody else is going to go to bed. Yeah, I got work super early tomorrow, Same. but it was definitely a pleasure, fellas. Yes, happy thanks to hop for coming on, on man. Thank you. We'll definitely do it again. Let's yeah. get the hell out of here. Don't forget, follow Aaron at AARunsStew09 on the Twitter. Value draft picks for Mr. Chris over there on Twitter. Head on, madness for me. Thanks for hanging out. We'll check you again next week. Until the hot topic now. Latest! Super glue this one